Welcome to the GAHI Leadership Podcast. The Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, or GAHI, is committed to the development of leadership skills, knowledge exchange, and networking opportunities. GAHI represents a broad range of healthcare executives, professionals, consultants, and students throughout the state of Georgia. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to GAHI and NASI Atlanta's joint webinar. I'm Bruce Lloyd, GAHI's Executive Director, and it's my pleasure to introduce GAHI President Angela Henry, who is sector leader with uh, Corn Ferry, right? Angela? Correct, yes. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Bruce, and uh, welcome. Thank you all for attending today. We're really excited about our program today. Um, so just a quick few announcements before handing it over to our moderator and panelists. Um, to, to welcome you to uh, Gahi and Nahi's Atlanta's joint webinar on celebrating diversity in healthcare. These are inspiring stories of minority female leaders. I do want to start off today by recognizing our annual sponsors. Without our sponsors, these events would not be possible. Our platinum sponsors are Wellstar Healthcare System and Atrium Health Navicent. Gold is Excellent, Piedmont Healthcare, Northeast Georgia Health System, and Vizia Technologies. And our silver sponsors include DT Spade, KCA Firm, Georgia Nurses Association, Metro Atlanta Ambulance Service, SSR Inc., and Vivlio Health. Thank you again to all of our sponsors. Uh, please do mark your calendar for our third Thursdays of the month. Um, that is our typical face-to-face -face, uh, lunch and learn at Magiana's, but we do have a huge variety of events, as you can see. Um, you can register and learn more about all of our events at www.gahi.org. Um, but just to highlight a few, um, we do have our uh, five-week virtual Board of Governors exam prep course that starts uh, next week on September 8th. Um, do want to encourage anyone that has questions about getting uh, board certified and fellowed, uh, please reach out to myself or any of our board members. Our um, credential requirements are actually changing in January. So if you are close to your number of hours, we would love to get you signed up for this prep course. Um, help you with your references, whatever you need to check all those boxes and uh, take our Board of Governors exam. So reach out with any questions. Um, also want to highlight our October 5th Summit North event that will be in Canton, Georgia. Uh, this is our first time that we are going to be uh, having this event, so we're very excited. It's very similar to the summit that we did in Macon. So lots of uh, good networking the night before, as well as a full day with keynote speaker and multiple panel sessions. Uh, this fall, GAHI is offering three $2,500 academic scholarships to students that are pursuing healthcare career-focused graduate degrees. The deadline for GAHI scholarships is this Thursday, August 31st. Please visit www.gahi.org to apply or to nominate someone. Today's program does offer one hour of ACHE qualified credit, which can be self-reported on the ACHE website. Log into my ACHE um, and put it in today after after our uh, panel session. Uh, so now on to what everyone is here for. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce our moderator who will then introduce our panelists. Tammy Jackson is a partner in the healthcare and technology practices at Augsburg Bernstein U.S. based out of, Atlanta, out of the Atlanta office. She's also president of NASI Atlanta, chair of GAHI's Diversity Inclusion Committee and a GAHI board member. Tammy has deep experience and expertise in recruiting and executive search 
in the healthcare technology and digital health sectors. She is the former vice president of executive search for Sloan Partners, where she managed full cycle searches from client startup to candidate selection and onboarding. Prior to that, she was a senior associate at Whit Kiefer, an executive search firm specializing in healthcare, higher education, and life sciences. Now I'll turn this meeting over to Tammy. Thank you so much, Angela. I truly appreciate that introduction. Um, and welcome to everyone in the room today. We're delighted to have you. At this point, I want to introduce our esteemed panelists. Um, we have Monica Ritchie as well as Pooja Mistra. I'm going to read their bios for your um, to set the stage so we can have an overview of them before we dwell into the panel discussion. First, Monica. Monica holds the position of Vice President, Physician Revenue Cycle at One Grady. One Grady serves as the Billing Enterprise for Emory School of Medicine, Morehouse School of Medicine, and Grady Health System. With her extensive experience, expertise in revenue cycle management, Monica has successfully implemented innovative strategies to enhance physician practice revenue and achieve commendable outcomes. Throughout her career, Monica has overseen the operations of large-scale physician practice revenue cycles encompassing over 900 multi-specialty providers, 25 specialties, and an impressive annual gross revenue of over 250 million. As she got at the organization's revenue cycle operations, Monica discovered her true calling in assisting others to achieve organizational success through mentorship and coaching. By leveraging her business acumen, Monica empowers individuals to enhance their own skills and capabilities. In addition to her professional endeavors, Monica remains actively involved with her alma mater, Agnes Scott College, and the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She recently served on the alumni board and as a FORGE mentor, contributing her knowledge and experience to support the development of current students. Monica has also dedicated her time to initiatives such as the Diversity Inclusion Task Force and the Women's Leadership Alliance Board for a Local Healthcare Corporation. Monica is a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives and is currently enrolled in the DSC program in healthcare leadership at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, furthering her pursuit of knowledge and expertise in the area. Pooja is the Vice President Oncology and Sickle Cell Service Line at Grady Health System. Pooja's healthcare experience spans business development, healthcare strategy, operations, and consulting. In her current role, Pooja leads the organization on many firsts, such as its first person-centered care accreditation and gold award from Plaintree, and its accreditation through the American Society of Clinical Oncology KOPI program. Pooja has pioneered solutions that have demonstrated improved patient access, decreased time from diagnosis to treatment, and stage shift in cancer care. Pooja has several publications reflecting these efforts and outcomes. Pooja has a proven track record of developing key relationships, achieving results through influence, improving hospital operations, enhancing ambulatory care delivery, and implementing service excellence. Pooja is engaged in her community through work in reducing barriers to screening and early detection by partnering with organizations such as Kuman, American Cancer Society, Georgia Corps, and many others. Pooja is passionate about reducing barriers to healthcare access and growing the next generation of healthcare leaders. 
Pooja has master's degrees in both healthcare administration and business administration from Georgia State University. She is a fellow with the American College of Healthcare Executives and is a certified Lean Six Sigma Green Belt practitioner. Pooja is also a graduate of Leadership Atlanta, class of 2022, and 2023 Summer United Way Volunteer Improvement Program graduate. Pooja has served on the Asian Healthcare Leadership Committee for the American College of Health Executives with a focus on diversity and inclusion leadership in healthcare. Pooja currently serves on Atlanta Initiative Advisory Coalition with Turning Point, Georgia Cancer Control Consortium Steering Committee, in addition to several statewide roundtables focused on improving cancer care landscape in Georgia. Let's welcome our esteemed panelists. We're thrilled to have your expertise and insights as we delve into this conversation today. Shall we begin? Yes. Let's start um, first with Monica. To set the stage for our conversation this, this afternoon, um, can you share a bit about your personal journey and what led you to pursue a career in healthcare? Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, as a child, I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, that was kind of my, my lifelong dream. I did the, even in high school, I was part of the um, pro, a med, a pre-med program at Morehouse School of Medicine. It's kind of funny how things come full circle. But um, in college, I was pre-med, pre-public health, worked my butt off. Um, but I got to my senior year, and it was really a choice between cell biology and, and studying for the MCAT. Um, and I really had to come, I came to a crossroads and it was, um, I didn't want to spend another 10 years in med school and training. And I literally went to the library at Agnes Scott and I started researching top careers in um, the U.S., um, News and World's reports, um, started looking at what options I had to stay within healthcare because um, that really was my chosen field from, from an early age. and. Um, I discovered there were people that actually ran the hospital. It was quite um, a revelation. Um, and they made how much? I was really surprised by that. Um, and I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do, healthcare administration. Um, so I started researching, how do I get there? So U.S. News and World's reports, again, what are the top um, programs in the country um, in healthcare administration and University of Alabama at Birmingham was definitely one of those top programs. And actually they're number one now. So uh, great choice. Um, I, I say um, I chose them, but they also chose me. Um, and after I completed my residency, I did my um, resi residency at a small hospital in Southwest Atlanta under the tutelage of Marie Cameron. Um, some people on the call may know her. Um, and after the hospital closed, I kind of took a winding road. It wasn't a straight up. It wasn't. It really was a winding road to get where I am now. Um, I've worked for several hospitals within the, the Atlanta area, um, as well as some managed care, um, a managed care company. But I truly feel like I found my home at Grady. Um, I love the mission. I love the people. I love the work I'm doing, and I truly get to impact the community. So I'm excited to be here, guys, and share my journey um, and my experiences. So thank you. 
Well, that's a wonderful story, and I appreciate that. I want to share that, have the same question with Pusha, because I think it really sets the stage for us to really hear, hear your journey, particularly as we get more granular into our conversation today. So, Pusha, if you don't mind, can you also share about your personal journey and, and how you led to a career in healthcare? Sure. Thank you, Tammy. And, and first off, just want to thank um, Gahi and, and Nasi and uh, ACHE for this platform and, and having the, the space to have this discussion, which is so vital. Uh, I uh, have been an ACHE member for over 18 years and have benefited tremendously from such discussions on the other end. So it is um, delightful to be on on the panel end and appreciate your, your question. So I wish my response was as, um, as organized as Monica's, that, that I had researched it and, and kind of made it happen, but it, it, it didn't quite happen that way for me. Um, but as I think back uh, to what brought me here, it, it is um, very clear to me that uh, when I was in probably second or third grade, and I, I was born and brought up in India, in about second, third grade, we were in Calcutta, and our school had this partnership with uh, Mother Teresa's charity, and, and they were doing a leprosy uh, walk to help and stigma against uh, leprosy. That was one of my first volunteer, quote unquote, um, endeavors that I did. And after that, I, I just remember feeling completely passionate about um, that effort and that that the same passion grew when I went uh, into uh, further education, I volunteered with the Strivers organization, which Sister Eileen Lucy led, and there, there was just something so um, fulfilling about volunteering and um, being able to make a difference and doing something that was much greater than myself. That same thought carried forward as I was fortunate to get an academic scholarship and come to um, Tennessee, Jefferson City, Tennessee, to Carson Newman to pursue undergrad. And there I had the scholarship through Bonner Scholar Program, and again, was very involved in the community there through Hope House and, and other efforts. And as I was finishing up my, my business administration degree, it, it, it was getting clearer and more evident to me that I wanted to pursue a path that allowed me to be uh, part of something much greater than myself. And it was purposeful and meaningful work. And Georgia State's MBA MHA program was the only program that I applied to for grad school. And I am so glad that I got accepted. Um, it was a phenomenal program, great faculty, amazing connections within the Atlanta area. And my residency was with um, United Hospice, and, and I got to be an administrator in training with them, which then led to um, me being an administrator over a 16-bed inpatient hospice facility. And um, Tammy, that was the culmination of the year years-long uh, journey uh, in searching for what it is that I wanted to do. Um, the, the team there was amazing. Every single person there was just as committed to the uh, mission as I was, and that cemented in my mind uh, what I wanted to do, and, and that there has been no um, looking back. I have been fortunate to have 
amazing leaders and mentors. And I see some of the, the members on this call and I can, I can call on them as being those amazing mentors, leaders, as well as um, uh, peers of mine who have helped shape uh, this career, but the, the love of um, being part of something greater than myself and the, um, the knowledge that every single day uh, the work that that we do is meaningful and purpose driven is, is something that keeps me in healthcare. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm, I heard common themes from both of you. And I'm going to just pull out a couple of those things. Volunteerism, you know, mission driven impact on the community, purpose meaningful, being part of something bigger than yourselves. And, and we'll talk more about that later, but it certainly sounds that you all are both rooted in, in community. And really this, what your work you do is definitely greater than going to work every day and earning the paycheck, which really says a lot about what you all do and your character as a person. Pooja, you have the floor. So let's move into our next question. Um, as a minority female leader in healthcare, what are some of the unique challenges you have encountered throughout your career? Yeah. With that said, you know, how, how have you navigated any obstacles or stereotypes and what strategies have you put in place? Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Tam, uh, Tammy. Uh, one, yeah, I, I thought about this um, quite a lot. What were some of the challenges that I faced early on? And it probably is the same that uh, many of my um, female peers and counterparts, as well as, um, you know, female leaders, women of color face. So I, I don't know that I had unique challenges or, or stereotypes, um, you know, sometimes implicit biases showed up at work and I navigated them over the course of my career. But one thing that uh, I wanna talk about is, is our own mindset and, and how that may uh, become a big obstacle. So for me, what was um, interesting in my career uh, journey, and I'm a Southeast Asian woman, cultural cultural uh, norms dictate that, uh, you know, you, you stay humble, you don't talk about your accomplishments, you don't, um, you know, try to claim credit for work done. And so early on in my career, um, some of my mentors would, would point that out to me. And I was so fortunate throughout my journey that I've had leaders who valued the work I did. And they, they would circle back to me and tell me, uh, you know, how I was driving results and the, the efforts that were yielding uh, the outcomes, plus giving me opportunities to continue to advance my career. But, but they were also talking to me about how do you position your accomplishments in a way that helps you personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And that that was that that was quite a challenge, especially early on. I tended to be uh, quieter. I wanted my work to speak for itself. And um, oftentimes that wasn't the case for the people that were sitting around the table who had no problems talking about everything that they were driving. And and so it was it was a, a unique challenge. And I don't know how many um, women face that uh, in, in the workplace. And I don't know if it is unique to, um, you know, South Asian, Southeast Asian women, or if it is across the board, but that I thought was something that I had to work very hard on. And um, I continue to strive to, to, to be able to put information out there in a way that is meaningful and continues to drive the conversation forward. 
Well, we celebrate you today because you're awesome. And obviously <laughs> you both are awesome and very well accomplished. Uh, Monica, to yeah. you, um, as a minority female, what are some of your challenges you've encountered and how have you overcome those? Um, and Pooja, I'll definitely say it's a unique challenge. However, you're not alone in that one, okay? So <laughs> I'll just piggyback off of that one. But I'll say um, there was, I can remember a time in my career, um, you know, it was kind of one of those monumental kind of um, moments. I was struggling. We had just had a recent change in the organization. And before then, I could be, I was kind of a solo leader. I could do my own thing. I could run my own shop and um, make the changes, improve revenue and all the good stuff, right? But um, I had kind of joined forces with other peers. And now I had peers for real, okay? And I was struggling to fit in as the only minority of the group. And um, I was just struggling navigating um, the situation, right? And at the time in my organization, there was only one individual that uh, was a minority on the team. And I can remember being in this big leadership meeting and I literally reached out to him after that meeting. And I said, would you mind being my mentor? So I sought him um, to help me navigate and to help me plan through and think through how do I get where I am now? Um, and he was that ally I actually needed to help me um, navigate that time, but not only just that time, but navigate throughout and figure out tough personalities and tough situations. What some thought, being that thought partner for me, that was what he was, he was for me. Um, so sometimes in your career, you may have to kind of seek an ally. Mm -hmm. um, to help you navigate someone that's been there and experienced maybe some of the same experiences you have, you're doing, you're experiencing now. But he was definitely instrumental in helping me put together a plan mm -hmm. um, of where I wanted to be, how to how to navigate situations, and really being that thought partner for me. That's really important. I'm glad that you brought that up. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. But having allies and thought partners, you know, in my work as an executive search consultant, I have conversations all the time and we often hear people talk about their mentors and their allies. And I'm really glad that you brought that up. And we'll talk more about that in just a little while. It's important to have those. Yes. Um, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Monica, um, as we both know, um, actually, I'll push this one to, to Pooja, if you don't mind answering. Um, we both know that you're both leaders at Grady Health System, and you have a phenomenal leader in Dr. Yolanda Wimberly, who serves as the organization's SVP and Chief Health Equity Officer. Um, I was just curious, what initiatives or programs have you personally collaborated with um, that department in order to promote diversity and inclusion within your organization? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so first of all, I want to give a shout out to Craig Tyndall. I think I see him on this call. And so he was one of the key reasons why I came to Grady Health System. Okay. He recruited me about seven plus years ago from Wellstar over to Grady. And um, I was driven by the mission of Grady and the work that Grady does for over a hundred years. Um, Grady has been essential to the fabric of Atlanta. And um, John Hopper, our CEO, put a stake in the ground um, with 
implementing a position that is a chief health equity officer role. Um, so I, I commend our um, CEO and our board for uh, committing to that. Dr. Wimberly, of course, is phenomenal and she brings relentless energy to move the dial in our um, efforts to improve outcomes and um, work towards equity. So our health system's definition of health equity is, um, is the one from Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So health equity means that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. This requires removing obstacle to health, such as poverty, discrimination, and their consequences, including powerlessness and lack of access to good jobs and fair pay, quality mm -hmm. education and housing, safe environment and healthcare. So um, that informs a lot of various efforts that Dr. Wimberly is leave, leading. And a couple that I wanna highlight that I have personally been involved in is our TELP program, also known as the Teen Experience and Leadership Program mm -hmm. that um, just concluded over the summer of 2023. Um, through this program, there were 236 teens that mm. were at Grady, uh, completed 42 different rotation assignments, and out of the, the 236 teens, 83% were female and 79% were African-American. Students came from over 116 high schools and 15 different counties in Georgia. And th this, this experience really is uh, moving the dial in the next generation of healthcare leaders. Um, you cannot be what you cannot see was, was one of the, the quotes from Dr. Wimberly, and it is important that we are able to show this next generation of emerging leaders um, what, what is healthcare all about, whether that is on the clinical realm or on the end where Monica and I get to serve, where we are... Uh, supporting those who are providing care. So it is it, it, that that program was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, Cancer Center was one of the rotations and and I know that the teens enjoyed it and our team here um, enjoyed it even more. So we were very fortunate to have partnered in that program and I know it's going to come back stronger and better next year. Um, the other effort that I'm uh, partnering with Dr. Wimberly on is the Health Equity Access Coordinator project, our HEACs, which uh, comprises about four people, and it, it, it's about two FTEs. Um, their effort is to ensure that healthcare access is obtained by patients who are waiting to get appointments. So the one area that is close to, to my world is the breast cancer screening project, where the HEAC uh, team members made about 4,874 calls. And this is to get uh, patients into um, their scheduled mammograms. Um, and then those that had completed mammograms, 738 of the calls that were made, uh, completed mammograms, 134 went on to get their diagnostic mammograms, and there have been two early breast cancer detections. Mm. And that is critical because uh, at Grady, when we compare our cancer cases to National Cancer Database, we see younger age, later stage. So mm -hmm. early detection is critical to help improve um, health outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Wimberly has several other projects that, that are underway, community um, outreach uh, efforts, as well as um, 
her efforts in workforce development programs. So um, I'm so glad to be able to partner with her on some amazing uh, projects and mm -hmm. can't wait to continue to see that uh, move the dial. Well, the examples you showed are phenomenal, particularly the one around engaging youth. I, th I think you said, Dr. Emily Sherry, you cannot be what you cannot see. And the fact that that program impacted the youth is great because we need people like you and Monica and Dr. Wimberly to show the youth and to show those real world examples of what you can do. And I think that's so important to start early. So that's a really a great program. And then obviously the breast cancer um, outreach and, and getting people to the clinic for early detection and seeing the results from that is, is truly impactful. So congratulations on both of those programs. Um, next question, uh, Monica. In your role as a revenue cycle leader, can you share any success stories or examples of how diversity and representation have possibly impacted your organization or the healthcare industry as a whole? Right, great, great, great. Yes, um, I could definitely say that uh, one of my success stories, and I pride myself on, is my leadership team is very has always been very diverse. Um, oftentimes I kind of hear leaders say it's been a, they have a hard time finding top minority talent, but back to um, some of the initiatives around um, recruitment and really casting a broader net. Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to fill positions, um, leadership positions fairly easily with quality talent. And right. I'll say a few things to that. Um, under the leadership of um, both Dr. Wimberly and Anthony Saul, um, our fabulous CFO, um, Grady has implemented several programs um, around um, diversity and improving, um, one being the healthcare business internship that just was completed this summer, uh, where um, they partner with HBCUs to bring in leaders, young leaders that may be interested in healthcare business, right? So back to your earlier point, starting early, exposing people um, to those areas, but um, and ensuring that um, that knowledge and skill set is there. But I've been fortunate enough to always cast my net wide enough to include um, not only HBCUs, but um, the community we serve, um, and really building a team on diversity and not just in race, not just in sex, but really in diversity of perspectives, personalities, experiences. I'm going to highlight one of my team members. She may be on the call, but she brings the humor to our team. Um, and it's really the dynamic we need, right? We get kind of lost in all the, the sauce, right? All the technical stuff. But she really brings a lighter environment and she adds the fun, she adds the more engaging environment. So um, to me, I think it's important to cultivate that and encourage people to bring their full selves to the table and encourage um, just diversity, not just in sex and race, but diversity and perspective, right? Um, it, it adds value um, to the team and it's shown in our work, it's shown in our environments and the culture we've created with one gradient at Grady. 
That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, success is, I mean, these success stories are so great to hear. I mean, it just spreads so much positivity and hopefully set an example for others that are working in other health systems to, to really move the needle and do some of these, some of this great work. Uh, Pooja, uh, likewise, in your role, which focuses on the oncology and sickle cell service line, are there any specific um, examples? I know you shared some around, you know, the breast cancer um, program. Any other successes you'd like to share with the, um, with the group here? Yes, yes, I would love to. So um, just like the breast cancer um, example where we're trying to shift the stage, uh, when I started here in 2016, um, at that time, uh, there was a request to put a, a structured program around lung cancer screening and um, low-dose CT screens that we had back then um, and still do. Um, with a, a tremendous amount of support from our executive leadership team and an amazing physician partner, we were able to implement a lung nodule clinic. And over the years, as we track the impact of that lung nodule clinic, we have shifted um, the number of early uh, screens, stage one, stage two, uh, where it used to be prior to the implementation of the program, 20% early stage, we have now gotten up to 35% early stage, and we're continuing to uh, make great gains. And that's a 75% stage shift. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about lung cancer, it its uh, mortality is um, the worst uh, of the top five cancers combined. So making an impact in lung cancer screenings and shifting that stage really does have a, a huge impact on lives. So I'm very, very proud of that effort. In addition to uh, seeing the stage shift, we've also made concerted effort in decreasing our time from diagnosis to treatment mm -hmm. um, to under 22 days um, mm -hmm. from a baseline of 59 days. So that is another impressive shift that we have seen. And that is in addition to lung nodule clinic having a multidisciplinary um, thoracic clinic in place. So that enables patients to have access to their medical oncologist, their surgeon, their interventional pulmonologist, their um, radiation oncologist, as well as nurse navigator all in one space. Um, that is a critical effort. And we've taken that same multi-D model from lung, in addition to lung, added it to head and neck, to um, urology mm -hmm. clinic, as well as um, programs in sickle cell that um, I'm extremely proud of, especially because there are so many barriers to care, having it all in one place truly does impact outcomes. The other piece that I'm extremely, extremely um, you know, proud of for the, enti the entire team pulling together, and I saw Laura Caramonica post a comment. She was the um, individual when I was back at Wellstar, um, had uh, selected me among three other people to go explore this, uh, this journey of Plain Tree. And Plain Tree is an organization that was started by a patient in, in the 70s, um, and it was around person-centered care. And Laura uh, exposed me to this, this organization, and I had the opportunity at Wellstar to implement a patient family advisory council in the cancer program there. And when I came to Grady and we were in this position of applying for a grant through Merck Foundation, which was around person-centered cancer care, in addition to adding navigators, social worker, dietitian, mm -hmm. and exercise coach, we said we were going to apply for plain tree designation. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, that started, that journey started in 2017. And I am so glad to say that despite the pandemic, we applied for this accreditation, this designation, and we earned the gold award, which is the highest award in person-centered care through Plaintree. And we're the only safety net hospital in the country to have that designation and the only one in the state of Georgia with Plaintree designation. And, and the most meaningful part about Plaintree for me has been implementing our patient family advisory council. And we've done that in cancer as well as in sickle cell. And our goal is to keep our patients at the heart of everything we do. So um, you know, the adage of nothing about me without me um, has truly helped us uh, move uh, cancer outcomes, make sure that we're doing, uh, we are implementing efforts that are meaningful for our patients and our community. Um, and then some of the other areas that I'm extremely, extremely proud of is our ASCO COPE accreditation, our American Society of Clinical Oncology accreditation that gave us a shout out for our oral chemo adherence program as a national best practice. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, implementing our comprehensive genetic risk assessment program at Grady. Um, when I started, we had this need met, but we had uh, some opportunities to scale up. And we have a dedicated um, genetic counselor that has um, that has been embedded within the cancer program to support uh, the genetic risk assessment needs of our of our patients. And you know, there are several colleagues of mine here um, from Grady and, and those that had been at Grady, I see Dr. Hurd, I see several others. And I just want to say, you know, none of these outcomes would be possible without the work that my predecessors did and, and laid a solid foundation and all of those who continue to support um, our efforts in the cancer program and at Grady. Thank you so much, Pooja. I appreciate that. So we're getting close to, uh, we want to make sure we leave some time for Q&A, but there's a couple more questions I want to make sure that we uh, bring to the audience and share. Um, Monica, in your business side of things, what successes have you seen? If you could just share just a couple things briefly, because I want to make sure we talk about how you guys have supported other minority female professionals in healthcare as well. So it'd be our next question. So what successes have you seen on the business side of things for you? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I kind of talked about one, which was definitely the Healthcare Business Insights Program, internship program um, that our leader um, put in place. But there's lots of other business-related programs that Grady has implemented. Um, one, Kevin Gordon, he may be on the line. He leads the Supplier Diversity Initiative um, that really um, increased, has worked to increase spend in um, minority-owned businesses, uh, which is huge, right? Um, the other one, uh, we're partnering, I lead the Department for Strategy and Analytics um, on our Revenue Cycle Department. Um, and we are in the process of reaching out to our local schools to recruit coders, and not just CPC-type coders, but software coders to help with our Revenue Cycle automation processes and initiatives. Mm -hmm. AI is huge, and I think you're probably going to jump on that later, but um, AI and automation, especially within revenue cycle, is a big deal. That's a huge success Absolutely. when we can automate our processes and really improve them um, without adding a lot of overhead. So we've, we've really worked hard to 
on the business side to really incorporate our community and um, um, minority organizations in our healthcare as well as on the business side of things. That's great. That's great. Um, I do have one more question. I know we're, we're time for Q&A, but if you all could just briefly answer this one summary question and then we'll jump into Q&A. Um, you know, looking back at your journey in the healthcare industry, you know, obviously this is kind of leading into that mentorship, supporting of others. You know, what advice would you give your younger self or to other minority um, careerists who are just starting out in this field? Monica. Okay. Okay. I was just making sure you're, you're targeting me. Um, one of the things I would definitely say is when I was young, in my younger career, my early career, I was super conservative. Okay. Super conservative. One, and I don't know if that was kind of passed on us from our, the previous generation. You got to wear the black suits and dark blue suits and everything just had to be just so. And I was so tough on myself. And I would say, just be yourself, be your authentic self and be as bold and courageous as you would like to be, um, be as creative as you would like to be, be an advocate for yourself and take control of your career. Um, I definitely think if you don't, um, if you don't take control of it, others will place you where they believe you should be. And it may not be the place where you're happiest, right? So um I've always, I kind of talked about that in the beginning, even early on, I took control of things. I said, where do I want to be? Um, and having a clear plan and vision for yourself. I think, um, especially the younger generation, I've seen examples where they may not know. And I think it's important to start thinking about it and getting closer to that, whether it's through internship programs or you know, shadowing getting closer to the idea of what do I want to be and making sure you define that and think about that. Um, I think the other thing is I talked about my winding road, but being okay with just pivoting if you need to, it may be a lateral move to jump into operations over revenue cycle or be jumping back to revenue cycle. That's okay too, right? You, you figure out what it is you love to do and what, do you, what it is you don't like to do or want to do. So, excellent. Yeah, I think that was definitely um, some some success stories and some things that I would definitely tell my younger self. Excellent, thank you. Um, let's jump into some questions from the audience, if you don't mind. So, one of the first questions is: What steps can or should men stop or continue to take in being effective allies for women of color? You want me to take it or Pooja? Whichever one of you all want to take it. Well, I mean, I, I would say I can remember early on um, there were comparisons. Um, they were, men would make comparisons between me and other women or other women and myself. And I think that's harmful, right? We all bring value to the table. So when, when um, you say, what should you stop doing? That's one of the things that I, I, I hate to see nowadays, right? Like, don't compare. We're all bringing value. We, we all have a skill set to bring to the table. And really highlighting that value, whether it's humor or otherwise, bringing the, mm -hmm. highlighting the positives in people, women, minorities, um, just highlighting what they bring to the table. Um, yeah. One of the things that, uh oh, my phone went off. Um, one of the things I would say that um, men can continue to do is do like my mentor did. 
open up and be willing to um, share your experiences, share how you would navigate the situation, um, help develop plans for people, women that may not um, have a clear vision or plan, but need that assistance. That was huge for me. That was one of those, those moments where it really was instrumental in my career. Um, and it's gotten me where I am now. So just being that advocate, being an ally and being open to sharing um, their experiences and how they would navigate situations is helpful. Excellent. So anything you want to quickly add? We have, uh, there's a question directed directly for you. Um, maybe perhaps we should go to that one. I could, yeah, I could say that Monica has said it beautifully. I think the, the only thing I would add is uh, in addition to being mentors, uh, men can also be sponsors. Those who are uh, speaking positively for you when you're unable to and not at the table. Um, so not only creating more opportunities for women and women of color to have seat at the table, but when we don't have a seat at the table, being those sponsors that, that they can be. Yeah, I always tell leaders that I, I advise and, and those that I, I speak to in my role as an executive service consultant is, you know, having an advocate and that's that person that's not in the room. You're not in the room, but they're speaking good things about you. So important. And oftentimes, you know, when there's a, a minority stake and there's less of us, meaning women at the table, it's really important for men to speak up for us and, and share the good work that we're doing. So I appreciate you bringing that to the, to the table. Um, Pooja, for you, uh, coming from a background outside of the U.S., um, uh, one of our, our audience members shared that they can relate to the process of adapting to new cultures and environments. While there's certainly challenges in this journey, you know, have you found that your unique background has actually provided you with distinct advantages or opportunities in your career? That's such a good question. Um, Oftentimes, I think when you're going through a, a, a journey, it is hard to see the advantages that that perhaps um, my my journey and my um, my experience of having crossed cultures and and um, and the the unique perspective that that affords me. Oftentimes, I. I initially used to see that almost as a setback because, um, you know, couldn't quite fit in fully to, to the American experience. There's so many things that, that I'd have to work extra hard to, to get the nuance or the, the meaning behind. For the longest time, I don't know that I, uh, you know, saw exactly where I fit in conversations when it when it dealt with uh, women in leadership or women of color in leadership, where 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 do I fall on that spectrum? And it has taken a lot of um, reflection, conversations, discussions with peers and mentors to get there. But I I do believe that you know the the unique perspective. I'll tell you, coming from from India, where um, the the family I was born in, I was in the majority. So having that experience and that perspective, what does that what does that feel like? What does that uh, privilege feel like? And then coming to the U.S., where I'm part of the minority, and what does that look like? And it, it is definitely a very unique perspective. Um, and I think in retrospect, I'm sure that that uh, helped me navigate some of the barriers that that mm -hmm. came my way and help level set 
um, help not take it very personally, perhaps. Um, but but I also recollect when when my name, for instance, not not being the usual name, that that can that become a barrier as well. So so I think that that cross cultural navigation has its pros and cons. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty with that. That's really helpful. Um, last question. So this is related to AI and, you know, obviously right now there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and how it will enhance the healthcare industry and its implications. Um, the question from the audience is, what threats do you envision AI will bring to your space? And I know this is very global and macro, but it affects us all. Yeah, I can take a stab at it. Um, sure. So, you know, I know that in, in the diagnostic space, AI is frequently discussed as a tool that can help um, extend physician capacity. AI has also, uh, you know, been hotly discussed in the ability to collate uh, a lot of information as science is rapidly changing and transforming, being able to um, pull it together and make it very succinct and easy for clinicians and providers to, to um, get to the application of that, that changing evidence. And all of that is amazing. So I feel like there is, there is uh, some wonderful um, possibility ahead of us. However, uh, I, I know that one area that we need to be extremely cautious about is governance of, of the same, because um, our uh, implicit biases and explicit biases have also been programmed right into uh, these models and, and not having visibility of that or not having governance can continue to lead to um, examples such as the, the chatbot that was in the news not too long ago, uh, Microsoft's Tay or, or other such examples where um, AI will learn and continue to build on um, potentially uh, biased solutions. So to me, it is important that we talk about responsible AI and, and talk about mm -hmm. it early and often. Absolutely. And Monica, earlier you mentioned that, you know, in your role, particularly in revenue cycle, that you are using um, AI, particularly when it comes to automation and the coding and the analytics work that you're doing. Um, how helpful have you seen that and have you implemented any of those programs so far? Yes. So literally every conference in the revenue cycle space you go to, they're talking about AI and automation. Um, that is definitely the newest thing. Um, and I would say it is a tool for us. Um, we've embraced it. It's not a threat um, right. per se. It's definitely a, um, a positive tool that we will be using to help in our processes and to improve our processes, reduce costs, increase our revenue, all of that, right? It can help the providers from a revenue cycle perspective to code out their uh, procedures and um, quicker, faster, easier. Mm -hmm. um, it will be a great tool for us in the revenue cycle space to um, implement in terms of um, denials and providing medical records to um, our insurance companies and just improving and augmenting our processes for the betterment. So I definitely don't see it as a threat. We are totally embracing it. I am looking for opportunities to um, 
in, in experiment with revenues with AI in the revenue cycle space and to improve our processes by using more automation and more AI. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in my role as someone who identifies technology leaders in healthcare, I attend conferences and talks all the time. And you're right, it's constantly discussed and AI, particularly when it comes to patient records, it's definitely a great tool um, when it comes to revenue cycle to help find, you know, some of those mistakes and recrease duplication and, and help to squeeze down some of that time and hopefully overall reducing costs and that whole revenue cycle continuum. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Any more questions from the audience? We'll wrap up. If not, ah, here's one more. In many in many conversations, it seems that uh, people often rely on unspoken assumptions and frames of reference, causing people to talk past one another. To health level set, are there books? movies, et cetera, that you would recommend for non-minority males to better appreciate and conceptualize the challenges faced by minorities and females? Really awesome question. <laughs> so I I have a book um, that, I mean, I don't know if you all have a book recommendation, but I have a wonderful book personally that I tend to give to folks that I think is a wonderful opportunity to really learn what it's like to be a seat in the room as a female. Um, the book is called The Memo. It's written by Minda Hartz. Many of you may have heard of it before. Maybe some of you may have read it. And it's um, it's the subtitle is What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. And Minda Hart's the author, this was on the New York Times bestseller list for many, many, many years. Um, if you'll look, you'll see it uh, here. Uh, but this would be a book recommendation if you haven't read it. Um, it's one that I often give to people. And it's fantastic because the author is radically honest about her experience. And I think there's always some nugget that I can go and flip through and read in that book that is always something that's refreshing and enlightening. Great. Great recommendation. Thank and you. I, I would definitely add um, the book isn't necessarily around um, women's experience, but just our implicit bias. And it is by Shankar Vedantam, uh, Hidden Brain. And I feel like that book also talks a lot about some of the biases that we we kind of bring to the fore. Sometimes uh, it is explicit and sometimes it is implicit. And I think as, as um, you know, first of all, thank you for the question and thank you for your willingness to, to be uh, an integral part of this discussion. It is just as important that our, our male um, colleagues are invested in this discussion. Uh, you know, I, the, the stats, and I was reading this um, report, Women in the Workplace uh, 2022, which was done by LeanIn.org uh, and McKinsey and Company, which talked about the, the big gaps uh, where 75% of healthcare workers um, at entry level are, are women. However, by the time you get to the C-suite, it's a 32% um, rate. So there is a lot of um, attrition that happens along the way, the, the report calls it a broken rung, and it, it highlights very clearly the experiences of women across the spectrum mm -hmm. um, and some of the challenges um, that, that women face. And I feel like that was a very concise report uh, that reflected the lived experience of so many 
And I'm sure I didn't get to every single exhaustive experience. However, I thought it was a great overview. And, and uh, it also contextualized what do we need to work on as leaders in our spaces to ensure that we are um, helping solve the problem of diversity and equity as we look to um, the, the healthcare pipeline and the leadership pipeline. So thank you so much. And, and uh, Tammy, I'm going to be looking up the book uh, memo for sure, because I have not read it. Yes. Uh, I'm hoping the other two are, are also helpful to the audience. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, we're almost at time. I, I want to thank the audience uh, truly for your questions and your participation. They were phenomenal. Um, I also want to express um, our appreciation and heartfelt gratitude on behalf of Gahi and Nasi to our panelists for participating in today's discussion. Your insight, your expertise, your transparent honesty, you know, sharing how you've grown to be an advocate for yourself is, is really truly impactful and it's really meaningful for us to hear. We really appreciate that. Your roles as successful, you know, healthcare leaders on the rise in healthcare is truly inspiring. And, and honestly, I can't wait to see what's to come from you two well-accomplished ladies. Thank you. So thank Thanks you so, so much, much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Tammy. It was a pleasure. Thank mm -hmm. you. All right. Thank you so much, Tammy, um, and to our panelists again. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, a special thank you to uh, Kevin Gordon and our D&I committee for organizing today's session. Uh, last but not least, thank you again to our annual sponsors. We appreciate all you do to provide leadership for the healthcare industry here in Georgia. Also, as a reminder, please be sure to complete our meeting evaluation, which will be emailed to you later today. Your survey feedback will be a great help to us as we strive to have continuous improvement and content for our education programs. Please be sure to self-report your one hour of qualified education credit on the ACHE website. Have a great afternoon and we hope to see you at one of our upcoming events. Thank you. This has been the Gahi Leadership Podcast. For more information, find us online at gahi.org.